0: Um, You'll get some of them that are really stuck in their ways, but you need to respect that and and say, hey, you know, you've been breeding 40 years. There's no way I have that knowledge that you do. Um, I might be a stud specialist, but but by no means do I claim to have the breeding knowledge of people that have been doing it for 40 years and have phenomenal dogs and locked in beautiful qualities. Um, But I do hope that some of what I am doing rubs off on them a little bit and they try to understand that, you know, the inside matters too so it's not all about who has the biggest baddest or best looking dog in the world um it it should be a balance of the two which is you've got some solid solid inside and 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 it it, to me when you're a product of your environment those dogs have no choice but to turn out absolutely gorgeous because nature is their element Mm -hmm. so from birth that's where they hang out that's what they do I don't believe I need any special pedigree or line to, to get my dogs to look beautiful and function the way they do. Um, so, so even when it comes to keeping a pup, pedigree isn't really as important as the health testing is to me. So, you know, I definitely want a dog that can keep up with uh, with what they need to do, and that's sim- as simple as be my partner and not not have to be left behind due to weight issues or joint issues or problems like that so Mm -hmm. i hope that uh i hope i said thank you to everybody that i could think of um you know roman godfrey that's another one holistic dog behaviorist that has helped me you know with with dog issues that i got with my males and helped me with some great ideas and change you know kind of the alpha personality that i have it's not always about being the boss Mm -hmm. and uh having those types of people put their two cents in and be able to help you is is amazing and like i say i've seen i've seen what what i didn't previously believe in i have seen evidence of and now believe in it and i can only go by experience and what i've physically seen in my in my my own and so that's why you know that's why a lot of times people got aggression issues or something or or anxiety issues i definitely give him a shout out because i've seen him restore the trust that is needed between dog and owner and and uh i think that's a big part of it so um, like I said, I, I sure hope I didn't forget too many people, but again, um, almost everybody that's, uh, that's conversed with me over the years has helped me in some way or another, and my willingness to learn from them, um, I think, is a big a big thing. You know, there's a lot of people that think they, they got it all figured out. I'm sure there's a ton of stuff that I have yet to learn, and again, without these people, you know, you've got a guy that was a Mastiff d- judge, Steve O., runs that museum and 75 years old, do you think I have the slightest bit of experience in comparison to that guy? Mm-hmm. There's no way. There's no way. There's no way. Um, would I maybe take my studs out and work them better than he could? Yes. But as far as the knowledge of the breed and how to go about it and what to watch for and all of these fine tunings, that guy is a, is an absolute dictionary and encyclopedia of information. And if, uh, if, if, if everybody adhered to, to his standards, the breed wouldn't be suffering at all. Mm. Um, but again, he'll be the first to tell you: stick to the standard. Right. That matters. That matters more than color, health, or anything else. Right. Is that they fit that? And that is when you get a diehard AKC standard group. Um, that is, it is very important that they look the way they need to look um, and carry that type of mass. Uh, if you leave a mastiff not feeling in awe of his size, he's not a Mastiff. Mm -hmm. It's a Cane Corso or something else. It's not, they need to have that massive size. And you know, I like to see 160 to 180 pound, maybe up to 200 pound females and males about 200 to 230 pounds, because I believe that's where they look the best, move the best and are at the best balanced um, size. Yes, I could easily make Harrison 20 pounds heavier of fat and claim that I have a 270, 280-pound dog. I could do that within a month, have him that overweight, but I know how he feels and I know how he moves when he's 20 pounds heavier, and I don't like it. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to sit and make him heavier so that I can claim some bizarre, horrendous weight. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed, Mike Tyson could have been fat and been 50 pounds heavier than 222. But what would he have looked like? And what he have attained a heavyweight championship? I highly doubt it. Yeah, so me, too. me that's, too. That's the difference, you know. Holly Moody once called my Mastiffs high-performance Mastiffs. And to me, till this day, that was probably the greatest compliment anyone has ever given me because that's kind of what I want. Oh, and a huge thank you to Fox 21. Um, they have just been nothing but awesome to us and uh you know we did a uh, live trapping coyote uh using my dogs to locate the dens there's a a proctor news story about it or i mean a fox 21 news story about it um and i used my dogs to track down all the dens and mark them and because you know you have to please everybody you know um live trapping was the only remedy um and again trying to live trap a coyote is near impossible to get a a wild canine to go into a cage is extremely difficult we came close we were ended up unsuccessful but i did try for the city of proctor using my dogs to try to curb some of this coyote issues they've been having and there is a a story on that if you if you look for it um which i'm very proud of so and, and i guess the long and short was fox 21 has always got the message i wanted to across um and, I, and again, thanks to and thank you to everybody you know at Barcroft for believing in me and, and coming and, and helping my career. And so it's getting increasingly harder to keep up with everything with the breedings, helping people nutritional advice and all of that. So you know I have been working on a book and hopefully I get that out within the year um, and it should it should uh, be able to help people kind of learn what I mean by let a dog be a dog and 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 maybe be able to put in some of these funny, cool things that have happened but again it's just another project kind of sitting there um i'm gonna end up going into the woods locking myself in a hunting shack for two weeks and writing and that and uh finishing it up at some point but but i do hope that you know it helps me reach enough people with the, i get the same questions all the time and if i answer everybody individually it, it takes my whole day yeah so to be able to put it all in one place or at least or be able maybe to You know, and again, I got, you know, like half of a YouTube thing started, but I do it all alone and by myself and it just takes time. And when you're doing YouTube, IG, Snapchat, uh, Facebook, uh, TikTok, it it really gets difficult to keep up with just the editing and working the dogs and the breeding. Um, So in the future, I do hope to have some some T-shirts and a book and some stuff like that uh, coming up. But again, I believe Slow and Steady, Brick and Mortar um and things that are meant to last and stay aren't going anywhere so you know slow and steady wins the race and that's my advice to anybody Mm -hmm. upcoming to just stick with it slow and steady as long as you're headed in that direction even if it's a tiny step a day and you only make it five inches that day you're still five inches further than you were the day before and at the end of the journey you'll get there and so you know no gimmick needed there shouldn't be any gimmicks needed. There should, gimmicks to me are dishonest. I don't need a gimmick. This is what I am, this is what I do, and this is what I'm trying to do. And I'm doing my best. And Hopefully, in the, in the, in the midst of it all, I inspire enough people to, to help this breed, help the dogs, help the expectations, and restore the faith in the king of all breeds, which is the largest canine on the planet, which is the English Mastiff. Mm-hmm. By mass, there are no canines that consistently get larger than them. They are the king of all dogs. And they should look like it, move like it, and be able to perform like it. Not with adding aggression. You do not want a 200-pound dog that might selectively not like somebody. That cannot be something that's worse than a loaded gun, and that is a fact. you got a 200-pound canine that is a biter. you got a big problem. So paying attention to that breeding for that and the environment to negate that is uh extremely important you know and i also hear a lot of people you know give up on a dog because he has bitten somebody on a certain occasion i understand that okay number one go try some holistic stuff to bond with your dog better and try to change that relationship but number two even if you had a dog that just always bit somebody no matter what he was a great dog but he just was scared put a Is there something wrong with a muzzle when you bring them around people? No, there isn't. That is for the dog's protection and people's protection. No, it's not becoming. But if you so happen to be the person that has a dog that has that issue, it doesn't mean get rid of the dog because he bites. Put a freaking muzzle on him when you bring him around people, and he'll just have to to get used to having to be muzzled uh, because of his problem if if it can't be remedied. It doesn't mean you know, put the dog down, put a muzzle on. It's that simple. You know, if you had a, a lion that loved you and you were going to take him down to have people pet him, wouldn't you probably do something to just in case maybe, maybe make sure nothing could happen in the event he was having a bad day or something. You probably would, you probably would be like, you know, and so really as, as nobody wants the image of a, of the dog with a muzzle, but it is a tool and again, if, if, if as a puppy you've got a dog, a puppy that's a little overly nippy, every time he does it, put a muzzle on him. After he learns as a pup, every time I nip at somebody, i got to put this miserable thing on him. I'll bet you by the time he's an adult, biting isn't even in his repertoire. Mm-hmm. So it is a tool and it can be used uh, very efficiently to avoid issue for the dog's safety and other people's and save his life if you asked a dog would you rather have a muzzle everywhere you go or get killed i have a strong suspicion he'd say you know what just put the muzzle on me i can't control myself i'm sorry (laughs) and it doesn't mean the dog's vicious it doesn't mean anything you know a a, a muzzle isn't the end of the universe it's just what i'm trying to tell people because there's a stigma attached to it and it shouldn't be it's a it's a very good tool they make very plush wonderful comfortable breathable nice ones that you know that would serve the purpose and not bother the dog at all. So, um, I'm sorry. I had to get off on that tirade just cause I, I can't stand when I hear the dog gets put down cause of this or that, because if there's a will, there's a way. I agree. I agree. 100%. Yep. You may not have the pre- prettiest presentation of your dog, but that's the card you were dealt. You know, if you had a kid that might be a little bit of a wild child, like I was, uh, you know, does that mean, you know, you yeah. know, don't give up on that you don't do that you just do what you got to do to to get them to where they got to be and give them the best life you can so you know there's the end of the problem you got a dog that has some aggression issues do your best to negate it build a relationship do everything you can and in the event it doesn't work put a muzzle on him and that's the end of it he lives a happy life he gets to go to the park and play with everybody and maybe over time some of that fear will go away Uh, without there being biting involved Mm -hmm. so you know that's just typically how i feel you know an animal is an animal it is not unheard of or an impossibility for an animal to have a bad day get startled or anything like that and nip at somebody it is something that can and will and might happen and it does not mean uh that that's that that's the end of uh of of the show so Mm -hmm. that's that is just something i try to Try to really put out there, like you know all you guys stressing over the you know a dog that might have a little issue, not my dogs, not my lines, not even the same breed it doesn't matter it's put a muscle, put a muzzle on him then. bring him to pet, go and put a muzzle on him then it's fit he can't do anything mm-hmm. that's it it's problem completely solved if you're planning on going to a dog park or having a bunch of kids over for a sleepover, put a muzzle on your dog that might have a problem later today or something, right, and then over time maybe he'll simmer down, maybe not. But, you know, you you do what you can, but I never give up on a dog. Um, I don't believe there's much reason for any to be in a shelter when there's millions of people that just want a companion to uh, hang out with. And on that note, you don't ever find AKC registered dogs from reputable breeders in a shelter, uh, ever. You find backyard breeding dogs in a shelter. That is what you find. You find um, failed attempts and dogs like that, and uh, and and stuff like that. All of my clients via contract have to when when the breeder does the breeding and homes the puppy, that the microchip goes in that breeder's name and the pup owner's name. So in the event that dog ends up in a shelter and they scan it, the breeder gets notified also. And there isn't a breeder that has bred with me that wouldn't fly like the wind to go get one of those puppies out of the shelter. Meaning. Breeders, good, outstanding breeders, are not the reason there are dogs in shelters. It is the exact opposite. If everybody was a responsible breeder, there wouldn't be any in a shelter, and that is a fact. So that's how I feel about that. I hear that, too. But I also do make sure that I have a rescue dog at all times to do my part there. And Lucy is our rescue dog. She's part greyhound um, and been one of the best companions and dogs I've ever known in my life. And a part of the reason these dogs are athletic because she's the surrogate mother for all of them, and uh, she likes to run. <laughs> yeah, being part Greyhound, and so it really does motivate these other guys to to, to try harder uh, too. So she's been a, a a little bit of help for the fur beetles too. So That's hats awesome. off to Old Lucy the Rescue, who is probably my favorite dog of all time. That's awesome. Okay, the philosophy behind the food now. When you have a company that puts billions of dollars into research for the health of dogs every year, like an upstanding, good quality dog food company, nobody, no matter how they think they can compete with that, can. It just cannot be done. So as a base, as a base, you need a good, high quality kibble. Um, You do not want a ton of protein or, or fat, your idea is to maintain an adult weight, not necessarily get your dog bigger or anything like that. So you know, you know, 13% fat would be about as high as I go. And maybe you know, 20% protein, uh, something like that. Um, for for a dry base. Um, so then there's we do that in the morning, and they get their, their guaranteed analysis of all the omegas, of all the chondroitin and glucosamine, so you know for sure they've got one good meal of of, of, a, of a food that had billions of dollars of research for the health of the dog put into it. Then I will do, okay, if we're going to do a lot of swimming that day, it's hot out, we're not going to do a lot of hills or jogging, we're going to do some swimming, you know, that uses a ton of cardio uh, where, you know, like spaghetti would be would be a, a good or a high-carb meal for, for the evening, So if they do hills, you know, we want to spike that protein. So at the end of the day, because I'm a father, because I'm a good husband and I cook for my family, my dogs are part of my family. So when I buy, I plan the meal according to what the dogs did that day, um, even for the people. So when I'm cooking my dinner for the night, the actual inspiration for the dinner was what did the dogs and me do today? And that is what we make. And so... At that so they get one hand cooked real organic, real normal whole food meal every day according to what they did. If they did a lot of hills and pull and weight pulling, we're gonna focus on some red meat and some good steak or deer meat or something, deer chops or something like that, um, for a higher protein to replace what they used and build it back. Uh and again if we did a lot of cardio, we're gonna we're gonna We're going to do some spaghetti and kind of stuff like that. So I use sort of my boxing background and how I train for that um, as to how to feed my dogs specifically. And, again, each one is different. Harry gains weight easier than the others, and he's bigger. So in general, he gets, you know, skinless chicken. He doesn't get any chicken skin. I don't want any more fat. And so each one for that evening meal gets tweaked um, personally for them. For, the, for what that dog in itself needs at that time. You know, Ringo's nine. He needs a little more of this or that. Um, but it's all done within, within what they did that day and what would benefit them the most nutritionally. And I do that for a lot of reasons um, so that my guys know that they're important to me and they are a legit part of my family to add something special and exciting for them to look forward to. Um, it's the same thing, you know, if you had one of those all complete food bars that was a complete meal and that's all you ate every day you after a while not even want to eat you'd be like i just and so adding that i think just really brings a lot to their life they get excited they know when i'm cooking that they're a part of it and what they're smelling is for them and and uh and again it lets me fine-tune what i did knowing what how hard each one worked and what they did that day along with the, the the background ability to know that i gave them the scientifically proven formula already today, this morning. Um, and I do like three cups. Three cups of dry in the morning and a hand-cooked meal at night. So they don't overeat. They don't get a, a crap ton. Maybe four cups. I'm not sure. Um, and again, so they'll get that in the morning and then a hand-cooked decent meal in the evening. And sometimes depending on, I might throw a little dog food kibble in with the whole food mm-hmm. just for some added measure. I also make sure that they have access to water soluble vitamins such as biotin. That uh, biotin can has a lot to do with muscles, tendons, um, placement, muscle tendon placement and how they develop. It has to do with uh, nail and hair health, skin. It can help reverse allergies and it's water soluble so they can't OD on it and it's cost effective. So I might throw that in there. I also use krill oil uh, intermittently. Uh, and again, it's 10 times more absorbable than salmon oil. It's all natural. And krill supports the blue whale, the largest mammal form of life on planet Earth. If a whale has bad joints, he sinks to the bottom and dies because his whole body is giant joints. And if a giant, giant animal can solely live off of filter feeding krill, there's got to be something pretty amazing about krill. And I'd have to tell you that there is. Now, I don't go tell people to go put their dogs on it without talking to a vet, because Mm. if they have allergic reaction, they go, Joe Thompson said, I tell you that this works for my dogs. That's all I can tell you. I Mm. I would never blindly listen to anybody without talking to your vet prior. But um, again, I can't see krill oil being too terrible. And again, I do it intermittently because I do believe if you have an influx of these rich proteins and things every day, the body... Almost expects it every day and gets lazy and collecting it. I feel like they get more bang for their buck intermittently, so every three days giving them a salmon oil pill, not every day. Uh, I believe repetition isn't good. I really think that um, a repetitive lifestyle, repetitive feeding, repetitive activity, it, you know, you should spice it up a little bit and change it up as much as you can. Uh, trick the body a little bit, you know, one day, you know, and you can also see the effects of everything and and how it affects them better Mm -hmm. by doing it that way. So I I strongly believe in intermittent supplementation. Um, Water-soluble, certain water-soluble vitamins are tremendously beneficial when you have a working dog. For instance, they get chipped nails. I put them on biotin and it's like their nails are made of iron. And no, I've never ever had to clip my dog's nails as long as I live in 30 years i've never had a manicured or trimmed and they never had a long nail either you know why because they dig and they run and they use them and naturally wear them and they look perfect and beautiful the way they're supposed to um so nothing against you know people that have apartment dogs they don't have a choice i'm fortunate enough that these dogs have access to take care of of all of that stuff but that biotin um, helped a great deal uh in their strength and their nails and skin and health and uh and the health of their hair overall, um, just everything. Biotin was, is a real good, it's in dog food, but not in, in near, not, not, it's in dog food enough for normal dogs, not enough for giant breeds. So supplementing biotin I think is great, is a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. So Boss kind of goes through it. My evening is kind of planned out, kind of thinking about everything and, and, and making sure I cater to my family the best i can uh and as a result if my dogs and stuff eat healthily and good so does my family and therefore feel like getting up and doing something the next day i've even done tests where i'll eat mcdonald's and the next day wonder why i feel like i didn't eat anything like i walk around feeling totally out of energy and i'm like that is straight up because i did not put anything good in i put filler in my body mm-hmm. and i now i don't even i don't even have the feet i don't even want to go it was the, I just want to sit on the day, you know, and it's, it has a lot to do with that. So having that that hand-cooked specific, you know, meal at the end of the day that everybody eats together I think is important, and that's a kind of a highlight of uh, of my day. So it brings a lot to the dogs and to me, and I believe uh, tributes to superior nutrition, sort of a hybrid. You're guaranteeing that, that million-dollar-a-year research analysis from a reputable company and your own – your own added love and care and twist to it and i think as as that balances out you know i don't have any problem with how my dogs look or perform so i I think it does real well well you know if you go straight raw you have to realize that that's only supplying a certain amount of the things they need uh dogs have been alongside humans as their companions for thousands of years and been eating things beyond just meat all of that time so they are not wolves they are domestic dogs and you know, I, I'm not against all rod. I'm not for it, but I think that I take my hat off to the people that do, because if they are giving their dog the right nutrition every day, they must have to supplement a great deal of other things in addition to that raw in order to have a healthy dog. Um, but there again, I, I'm not a raw expert. I do feed my dogs raw red meat. Um, but not exclusively. There's the difference. Um, if they do a lot, a lot of stuff and a lot of working out heavy stuff, uh, they get raw meat, you betcha. Um, red meat, not poultry. I don't like salmonella and sourness. Uh, so red meat only um, and and so on. So, you know, that's kind of the, the all encompassing thing is they are, they are a part of your life that are a part of your life every day, not just when you want to be. And again, they're on my mind when I'm cooking. Mm-hmm. So that interests me. Yeah. That I don't have experience with? Yep. Yes. um, I really strongly, and I, but this is, it really is, it takes an expert, and I mean an expert, and it is a huge undertaking, but I absolutely adore Tibetan Mastiffs, uh, but they are a little bit more aggressive if you have kids, uh, a much bigger responsibility, but maybe that's just folklore. I've never had one, I've never been around one, and I've never given one my type of upbringing or anything but in general i just find them a fascinating dog uh they are a lot of fluff by weight they a huge male is 150 pounds they don't people think they get bigger than any ems and they don't uh it's it's like an em with newfoundland hair sort of um but they're they're relatively uh good ones from good good breeding that actually look like a tibetan mastiff are kind of rare um and so it's it's a breed i would i always really was intrigued by um in my youth um and but i I could say the same about great danes i I absolutely love great danes i have limited experience with them um i find that you know the taller something gets the more issues you seem to have too and that mastiff seemed to have the the max height which rivals the dane but doesn't get to that freaky 38 40 inch where you got in these terrible bone problems so i kind of went with the balance when it came to you know what breed i was really going to focus on um, to be a part of my life. And that was the deciding factor over the Danes was, was that, you know, just the, the taller you go, the more issues you need to expect uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to joints and bones and conformity and all of that stuff, because it, it's obvious, it gives it more room for error, so to speak. So, um, but again, through through good breathing, they've gotten the, the, the health issues with Danes um, very well under control and their life expectancy is going Uh, But I guess uh, Tibetan Mastiff would be number one Um, and I really Irish wolfhounds are another one that uh, intrigued me a great deal. But again, um, the temperament of the Mastiff I think was the selling, the the biggest thing for me uh, because I have children and I just, I didn't want to be worried about if I leave the room and my kid pulls the dog's hair because he's stupid or does, you know, did something stupid, that that dog isn't going to rip his face off and hurt my kid. Uh, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I call the mastiff sort of the best of both worlds, because you, you've got this amazingly sweet temperament with, combined with the trust, but also the knowledge that if this if this child even falls down, that dog runs for a hundred yards across the the yard and stands over him in a protective posture. Uh, so you know, it's I have absolutely no no worry that my dogs will ever do anything like that to my kids. Or neighbor kids or anybody like that, um, which is huge for me. Uh, that's why, you know, in a different lifetime or maybe when I get older and I'm a full fledged hermit and have completely written off society, I'll, I'll get into maybe a Tibetan Mastiff and, and and see how they perform out in the woods because uh, I feel like they'd be phenomenal to watch um, and, a, and a great a, a great experience. But again, the uh, the stigma attached to the unpredictability of them it kind of exed me out as a as a potential owner for right now mm-hmm. so that's the long and short of it i love new fun ones too um but but i guess uh the tibet mastiff has always kind of captivated me uh in a way so if i have any any jealousy inside it's when i see a really big beautiful male tibetan mm-hmm. well taken care of well behaved and then i kind of go damn you know i wish i had one of them but uh, uh but other than that i think i i think i'm pretty happy with the with with the breed I've chosen and, and how it's working out. My favorite little dog? Yeah. Jack Russell Terrier hands down. All right, that's awesome. Yeah. Those little uh, rat chasers are the uh, one of the, some of the most animated and awesome, uh, you know what? Recently I went down to Jen Spence, and she raises uh world class, she shows at Westminster uh Frenchies. And I swear to god i thought i was holding a mogwai or a, or like a little gremlin <laughs> and i have to say i can totally understand the insanity that people go over for frenchies yeah. um because her dogs had to have been the cutest funnest most gr- they, they would grunt you know little grunts all mm-hmm. and bury their their right up i just couldn't get over them so i'd have to say to it, be a real big toss-up jack russell uh basset hounds are kind of small that i love and of course the Frenchie, uh, I'd have to say the most, the funnest experience I ever had with a small dog was Jen Spence's Frenchies. Um, and I believe bones, Thug, bone thugs and harmony has one of her dogs too. Which oh, wow. is, yeah. Kind of cool. You know, kind of cool that, you know, she's got some badass dudes that, that got her dogs. I think that's a, you know, shout out to them and her and, and, uh, what she does. So, so yeah, her Frenchies are dirty South Frenchies and, uh, again meeting them and her breeding her breeding once it was phenomenal uh beautiful dogs and and fun so so i guess it'd be a toss up i'd have to say a tie between frenchies and jack russell awesome well i really appreciate you taking uh time it was really enjoyable listening to your experiences and i think it will it will play out really well and i'll do my best to uh to plug this and get get up uh get some people to listen and um I think they're really going to enjoy it because it's a side of me that they don't normally get to see. Yeah. And it was an absolute pleasure speaking with you and meeting you. I thank you very much. Same here. <laughs> All right. Are uh, you going to get going then? Yep. We're done. All right, sir. All right, sir. Be safe. Have a wonderful weekend. And I look forward to hearing from you. And uh, keep me posted when uh, when you got a link for this. Definitely. Will do. Excellent. Goodbye, sir. Goodbye. Bye. And also, I'd like to make sure I give a huge shout out to Stillwater Vet Clinic and uh, Dr. Rihanna Rice and her team. They have been absolutely unbelievable, working through lunch breaks, and they're kind of the fur beetles' home away from home. Um, I don't trust anyone else with my dogs besides those those people down there. And again, have have accommodated us and are a huge part of our success. Um, they've had a great, great. Um, success rate as far as pregnancies and the quality of semen. I've had no complaints on any other vet's ends, and they've been just tremendous. I'd also like to make sure I give a huge shout out to Stillwater Vet Clinic in Stillwater, Minnesota. Um, Dr. Rice and her team have been absolutely unbelievable. Rihanna Rice has worked through her lunch breaks, has put up with phone calls uh, on Sundays and all sorts of things from me, and they have not failed a single um, shipment or anything. I have no complaints up to date and they have just been unbelievable. So they are a huge part of the fur beetle's success and are kind of the furbs home away from home. Um, again, we'd, we would have had a lot of difficulties without Stillwater. You know, as any good breeder knows, it takes a a great vet to be behind them to make sure things go as they should, and so that you have the professionalism behind things. Um, Doctor Rihanna Rice from Stillwater Vet Clinic is, has been absolutely unbelievable. She's worked through her lunch breaks. So has her members of her team. Everybody down there is a joy to work with, um, and again have accommodated us in the strangest hours and the strangest ways that you could imagine. Um, and just been uh, an absolutely huge part of the fur beetle's success Um, so I wanted to make sure I gave a huge shout out to Stillwater Vet Clinic in Stillwater, Minnesota. Joseph Joseph, ooh, ooh, so I must, so I must be Mary, Mary, Joseph, Joseph, a la